So today's passage is from Genesis 25, verses uh, 27 through 34. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thanks, Elliot. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do want to give us good gifts, incredible gifts, and fullness of your inheritance. Help us to have eyes to see what you offer us in Jesus, to not despise that, but to, to receive, even today, just now, receiving your word, the treasure of your word, uh, what it means, what it is for us, how you want to grow and feed and strengthen us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've uh, started a series here that's following with, that's tracking with the life of Jacob, uh, and we looked last week at his birth story and origins, him and Esau. Uh, I've got to start this week with a bit of a confession, and that is I love fast food. I love fast food. And that's bad, but it gets worse than that because my favorite fast food restaurant is not the one it should be for somebody in ministry. It's it's not Chick-fil-A. Um, my, my favorite fast food place is actually McDonald's. Uh, so, um, and, and I, I remember a time, it was probably Liz and I were, were dating or as early into our marriage, and we were taking one of those kind of get-to-know-you quizzes or, or couples quizzes. You're supposed to answer these questions or you're supposed to guess what your, what your partner has or responds. And one of the questions is, what is your favorite restaurant? Uh, I put down McDonald's. <laughs> and so uh, Liz had to kind of guide me and, and uh, assist me along a little bit in this. And, and she said, no, 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 Justin. Uh, you can't say your favorite restaurant is McDonald's. You're over 30 years old. <laughs> you've got you've to come up with something else. Uh, so uh, now I, I, I don't know what my favorite restaurant is. I, I don't know that I have one. It's probably still McDonald's. Uh, but um, what will happen then now uh, is, you know, whenever I get uh, an opportunity, it's a rare chance that I will go to McDonald's or, or convince somebody else to come along with me. Because for whatever reason, Liz doesn't feel like McDonald's is an acceptable date. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to, I, I don't know. 
Um, but so whenever I go or I, I find somebody else to, to come with me, I find it very hard to restrain myself because to me, it is just all so delicious. It's, it's so good, right? And so I, I just, I want to eat everything. And, and so what will usually happen is I will leave uh, and about 20 minutes later with a very tangible reminder of why it's not socially acceptable in polite company to, to claim McDonald's as your favorite restaurant. It's because it's just not good for you, really. Uh, it's, it's not very healthy. Right? I, I'm going I'm to leave feeling unhealthy. I'm going to feel sluggish and tired and uh, and who knows what I just did to my long-term health in that. And, and all for like 20 minutes, maybe like 15 minutes of fast food heaven. Uh, and it, it's that situation, that illustration, it, it's really a small-scale picture of what we find here and, and we find happening in this text. And the main point really from this sermon is don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. And it's helpful to put things in a positive way. So I'm going I'm to say it as keep your eyes on the prize. And keep your eyes on the prize. That's what this, this text is getting at. And uh, as we look at this story, as we look at kind of this next chapter in the Jacob saga, what we're going to get here as we go through the text, we're going to get a little bit more of an in-depth picture uh, of Jacob's highly dysfunctional family. Uh, and, and then we're going to uh, see this, this terrible tragedy that, that happens of the, the selling of the birthright, really selling yourself short. Uh, and then we'll finish up with sort of some of the, the particular application to us, which is to despise or receive your birthright and, and what that means for us. So that's where we're going this morning. And so first, uh, I want to look at how we are further introduced, uh, further connected, and, uh, and brought into Jacob's family here. And we quickly discover that this family, like all families, is a dysfunctional family. And uh, if you feel like your family dynamics are are messed up and dysfunctional, and you know, if anybody actually knew what happens, what takes place in your home, that they would just be shocked and horrified if they could see that, well, take heart. You are in very good company. And really, this is part of the theme of, of this whole series on the life of Jacob, and that is that God redeems and uses flawed people, dis functional people. That's, that's the, the instruments that God uses. Because the power and the blessing of being part of God's family are not coming from how good of a person you are. It's because of how great God is. That's, that's what the blessing comes from. So as we look at verses 27 and 28, we see these boys growing up, Jacob and Esau, and as they grow up, they grow up with very different personalities. And we talked some about this last week. Esau, Esau is a real manly man, okay? He, he's the kind of guy, he loves hunting. 
He loves fishing. He loves uh, camping outdoors in the Rockies for two weeks, you know, where he's, he's sleeping on the ground and he's catching his own food. Okay, you, you might know some people like Esau. All right, and Jacob, on the other hand, Jacob is a little bit more of a homebody. Uh, he, he likes cooking and, and he likes tending his little vegetable patch and he probably has more of a taste for the arts and music, all right? And uh, you keep in mind here that the Jacob, God's love and God's favor on Jacob has nothing to do with his personality. It's not based on personality. Uh, it, it's entirely based on God's free grace. That's, that's important. And we also find out here Jacob uh, says he's a quiet man. And another way you could use that word will come out uh, is he's cool. He's, he's sort of calculating. And then you look at the parents, though, and each of the parents have their favorites. And their favorites are based on a natural affinity. Rebecca finds it much easier to connect with Jacob, and Isaac finds it much easier to connect with Esau. And this is very natural. This is a very common thing in all times, common, common for us today. It's deeply problematic. And it's problematic because instead of seeking to rein in this sort of personality affinity, or to sort of keep that in check and instead respond to each of the boys favorably or, or equitably, fairly, instead, both Isaac and and Rebecca, they just give full vent. They give free reign to their favoritism. And it just wrecks, it wrecks this family, which, which will always be the case. It, it pulls apart the family and it sets up this spirit of division and rivalry and competition that's going on. And it creates this whole atmosphere that's just, it's poisoning and it's toxic because of how the parents interact. And, I mean, isn't that always the case? When you have favoritism instead of justice, it kills, especially in a family. And the kids know. (laughs) The kids pick up on this. And I'm, I'm stealing a comment here from Sinclair Ferguson, which, by the way, he has in a series on a sermon series on the life of Jacob, which you should absolutely not listen to, uh, because you will never want to hear me talk about it again. Uh, but uh, he, he says that it, kids kids are intuitive, right? And so they are always going to know who's the favorite among uh, the siblings, or if each parent has a favorite, they're going to figure that out, right? That is, they're smart, and so. That they, they learn this, and this sin of favoritism then ends up having long, deep, far-spreading roots. It, it's going to seep into Jacob. It's going to affect Jacob and how he ends up treating his wives and his children and perpetuate the same sort of problem that's going to wreak havoc in his family. So, important for us to know, is, as you maybe think about and reckon with the impacts of favoritism on your life, or or how that's impacted you, that before the cross, there is no favoritism. There's no separation. 
We all have the same worth. We all have the same value as people who are created in God's image. And we are all equally guilty, or equally in need. And we all also are offered the same gracious favor through Jesus. It's, it's the same offer for all of us. But let's move on to this terrible trade, which is Esau selling his birthright. And just a, a quick little recap here, what, what happened. So Esau's been outside, he's, he's hunting, he's getting this food, and he, he comes back and he is completely exhausted. He's spent, very hungry. And he sees Jacob, and Jacob is in the kitchen, and he's been cooking up this stew. And we find out in verse 34, it is a lentil stew. And some of what transpires, Esau is just desperate, desperate frame of mind, gets a little bit lost in translation, is he literally says, let me get a gulp of that red stuff, that red stuff. It's just in, in such, such a state of mind. And, and so this is where you may remember the nation of Edom, right, which comes from Esau. The word for Edom is very similar to the word for red. Right? So Esau comes out red, and, and he wants this red stuff. And so that's where this nickname Edom comes from. That, that's the whole country that comes from him. And I think that it's actually very very significant that it is a lentil stew. I I think this is actually very important. It's important because it's not steak. It's not like a fresh baked pie with ice cream. It's not some fattened calf. It's not some beautiful, ornate, confectionary, culinary work of art that Esau comes in and sees. It is a lentil stew. And this is significant because what happens here is a picture of what happens when we sin. Or what, what happens when we turn our back on God? Or we turn away from Him? It's right here. It's, it's us despising our birthright for a bowl of soup. That, that's what's going on here. Now, some of us perhaps can get a little bit bothered uh, or, or feel like it's unfair that we kind of like heap all this blame on Esau as if like Jacob has no guilt in any of this, which he does. We see in here Jacob's nature of just this grasping and snatching and not trusting God and, and just trying to seize every possible advantage he can get a hold of. Because where else would something like this come from? From Jacob. <laughs> where, how would you come out with something like this? Let's just say, let's say that you and I are neighbors, okay? And uh, you, you come in, you've just finished up a, a, a bunch of yard work, or you're out in the sun, you're mowing, you're doing yard work, you're sweating, or you finish it all up, and, and you come by, and I have uh, just brewed up this just delicious uh, pitcher of ice-cold lemonade or ice-cold margarita, whatever it is you want. And you come by and you say, Justin, let me get a sip of that. And I say, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. I'll, I'll, give, you, 
I'll give you a cup of lemonade. Uh, you give me your red Corvette. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> uh, where did that come from? Because uh, I guarantee you that didn't just pop into my mind as something to offer you on the spot for a cup of lemonade. Right? There's, this is a, a history of me watching and envying and coveting and, and desiring this, this red Corvette for who knows how long that, that this has been happening for Jacob. And so Jacob is, well, he's no dummy. He knows exactly the kind of guy his brother is. And he knows that if he catches him at the right time, that his appetite, his impulsive appetite that Esau has can be the key to Jacob getting anything that he wants out of Esau. And he, he uses that. But look, as bad as Jacob is in all of this, Right, is underhanded and conniving and just sort of weaselly as he is in this. When the Bible tells this story in Hebrews twelve sixteen to seventeen, or retells it. It uses this story as a warning to not be like Esau. That's the point. That's the main focus of this. Is Esau? Don't be like that. Esau has the greater fault. Esau is, is the, the main idea in this because he despises, he throws away his birthright for a bowl of soup. And the birthright, um, some of you may be more familiar with this idea than others. This is kind of a, a staple of ancient Near Eastern culture. It's also called primogeniture. And it actually still takes place. This still gets used uh, to decide, you know, just fun fact for you, the, the thrones of Spain and Monaco, very important, they still use this. Right? So it's the, it goes to the eldest son, right? and that's how it gets passed down. And uh, the reason why this sort of takes place, this, uh, this birthright, this primogeniture practice, it, it's because at the time, land, right, because land is so crucial, what would happen is if you were to pass down and divide up your land equally among the children, right? And they were to do the same thing and split up the land among their children, and before you know it, nobody has anything to live on, right? Because you, you need the land for food. And so what happened instead of that is that the land did not get broken up, right? The whole thing, wholesale, came to the one eldest son, maintained the entire inheritance as well as a double portion of the inheritance, and along with that, it was the responsibility of the eldest son to be the caretaker, to provide for, to, to sort of be the, the one who, who looks after the entire extended family. All right, so, so that sort of fell on, on his responsibility. This was how a, a patriarchal system worked. But to get back to the, the point at hand, I think that some of us can read this story, and the, this is part of the problem, we read about what Esau does, and we think, just what an idiot. How could you be so stupid? How could, you, how could you do something like this? How could you trade away your entire birthright for a bowl of soup? And we fail to see that we have done this sort of thing in our lives. We continue to do this. Because th this is... This is what sin is. It's how all sin works. 
Now, Hebrews 12, when it uses this story, it uses it uh, particularly to, to focus and to warn against sexual immorality. Right? So I think we should see that application with particular force, but it, it is relevant to all sorts of sin. Anything that we're doing where, where we're favoring and, and grabbing hold of something that, that promises short-term gain and giving up relationship with God for that. Because that's what sin really is. Any sort of sin is a selling yourself short. So I think it's valuable for us to to step back and think about how does this happen? How does this happen to Esau? How does he fall into this? And anytime something like this happens, you you make a decision like this, there's always two things at work. There is an overvaluing of what sin promises, deceptively. And there is an undervaluing of what God promises and what God gives. And so both of them are are attacking kind of from both sides. And so for Esau, his situation as well as he comes in from outside and um, he is exhausted, he's, he's completely tired out, and he's really, really hungry. And right there, you've got trouble. You are in very dangerous territory. Now, the recovery group, AA, they've got this acronym called HALT. All right? And this is what they use uh, to help people in, in the program to be aware of uh, when they'd be prone to a relapse. All right? And it's short for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are four ingredients that are setting you up to not make good decisions. I think sometimes in our Christian faith, I think particularly in our denomination, we can over-spiritualize things. We can um, think that, well, if if I know the right answers... If I just focus hard enough, if I, if I just memorize enough Scripture, then I'll be able to f- float above all my problems in this sort of spiritual, celestial sphere, and, and nothing will really touch me. And that's not how it works. Right? In reality, a lot of times our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of happiness in Jesus, has a lot to do with just being aware, right? learning to recognize, become self-aware of, of what's going on in your own body and mind and, and where you are and what you're prone to or need. All right? And I, I, I'm still got a long way to go on that, by the way. But I, I'm, it's, this, it's this struggle for self-awareness. And I'm willing to bet this is one of the reasons why there are nearly twice as many men as there are women who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. Because, right? let's just be honest, like, uh, us as men, we're, we're usually not so good at this. Right? And so, you feel something bad, you feel something unpleasant, and instead of dealing with this, instead of processing it with another person, you know what's easier? Well, I, I'll just, I'm just going to numb it with this addiction. That's just going to take care of it, and, and I'll move on. So Esau, he sees this lentil soup that Jacob has made, and, and he has to, he has to 
have it. He says, what use is a birthright to me? I am about to die. Now, is he about to die? (laughs) No. Uh, Esau could have waited. Esau is part of a very wealthy, very well-resourced family. Unlikely, they're about to let their eldest son die of starvation. So, uh, there are other things that Esau could have done to get food. But, this is the power of sin. This is the power of temptation and how it plays on our minds. It's this idea of, if I don't have this, life is not worth living. I, I, I just can't, I can't go on. I need this. I'm going to die if I don't get this. So, Jacob swindles him. And uh, verse 34 says that Esau ate he drank, he rose, he went his way. And that was it. It's very anticlimactic. And again, that's, that's kind of how sin always ends up playing out. And so, the reality is when Esau looked back on this, five years later, maybe even a day later, is he realized, you know, that was actually just a meal. It was only a meal. It wasn't even a particularly good one at that. And so, what do we do with this? What is our takeaway from this story? And I want to suggest that the implications are much broader than um, those really big, really climactic, life-altering mistakes that you can make. It certainly includes those, but, but it's bigger than that. And tomorrow, we are going to have, you are going to have opportunities, many opportunities, to either despise or to receive your birthright. And really the point of this story for us, it's really the point of the whole book of Hebrews that uses this story, is to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. And, and this has relevance for you for, for you, for us, whether you are a Christian today or whether you're somebody just considering Christianity. Because the world out there, it's a bowl of lentil stew. It is a bowl of lentil stew. And it's not as if lentil stew is bad. <laughs> it's, it's not like uh, it doesn't have its place. It's not like Esau is bad or Esau failed somehow because he was hungry. Esau's failure has to do with the fact he despised his birthright. He didn't keep his eyes on the prize. It's not as if this world has nothing to offer. It's got lots to offer. It's just that your birthright, that that we're offered, this reconciled, close, intimate, loving relationship with God. And so, so much more. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, what will it profit a man? What will it profit man, a man if he gains the entire world but forfeits his soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then later on, Jesus says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, what Esau was turning his back on, what he was despising, was far more than just the the earthly advantages that come with being the firstborn. He's disregarding God's promise to create an entire people for himself out of whom he's going to bless the world. And do it through this family line. And Esau says, nah, that's just not really that important. Ultimately, Esau's failure, his failure to keep his eyes on the prize, stems from not really being able to see, not being able to judge, not being able to evaluate things on their real, true worth. Isn't that really just what wisdom is always about? There's nothing complicated about wisdom, at least as far as a definition. It's just being able to value things according to how, how much they're really actually worth. That's what makes you wise. But in order to be able to do that, you've got to be able to see the end. You've got you to have the end in sight. You've got to know, well, where is this all going? Where is this going to end? What, in the end, am I going to need What's going to be most valuable? What am I going to be glad that I have valued at the end? And this is why so often wisdom involves short-term pain for the sake of long-term gain. But there's no way that you're going to suffer the short-term pain unless you can see, you can see clearly that there is long-term gain. Let me just give an example of this, right? Let's Let's say that you're in high school, all right, and you decide uh, going to your next year, you're going to take AP English, despite the fact you don't really like English. You know that within that decision, you, you have friends, you have other people who are going to look at you like, what are you doing? Why are you making this decision? Why are you setting yourself up to have so much less fun this year? so much less enjoyment of this year, you're going to be killing yourself throughout the whole year, and all for a class that you don't even really like. Why why do you do that? It has to be because you see something farther out. You see something beyond merely the amount of free time that you're going to enjoy that particular year. You see that, oh, this is going to have some value to me and later on not having an English requirement or um, you know, not being able to save some time, being able to save some money or, or focus on other things that I really want to study. Right? So you see out a farther length. And that's why you do something. That's the only reason you do something like that. And that is why wisdom often looks like folly to those who can't see as far out. I'm going to say that again. Wisdom often looks like folly to those who can't see as far out. And this is why the choice to live as a Christian, or the choice to become a Christian and live for eternity, is oftentimes going to look really stupid to other people. Other people are actually going to despise that choice. It just doesn't make sense. 
They're, they're not seeing. They're not seeing as far out. It looks worthless. All they can see is clearly you're giving up these short-term gains. Or very clearly you're giving up this, this bowl of lentil stew. It's like, why, why wouldn't you want this? This is right here. It's great. This is great, delicious stew. And the reason you do that is not because you hate lentil stew. It's because you prize your birthright. And this is where I want to close, because it's so important for us to be able to see, be, be able to have in our minds this full inheritance. What is our full inheritance that's offered to us in Jesus? Of this life with him and peace with God and possessing and in fact inheriting the entire world. That's what the Bible says. That every good thing that you see and you enjoy in this world is yours. It's yours in God. And in this this sort of story and how it connects with our context, our lives and situations, we're not Esau. We're Jacob. In fact, we're much worse than Jacob because we are outside the family. We are outside, separate. We've got nothing and no claim into this family. And what happens is that Jesus, the firstborn son, the only son, he doesn't sell. He gives up. He gives up his birthright. And what he got in exchange for this wasn't a bowl of stew. It was the cross. It was death. That's what Jesus went through in order to give us possession of this inheritance, of being able to to call and own God as our Father. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, he struggles with this. He struggles to keep his eyes on the prize. And so he asked Jesus the question that is on all of our minds, probably should be on your mind if you're a Christian or considering Christianity. And that is, hey, Jesus, this is Matthew 19, 27. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, come on, Peter, stop being so selfish. Stop being so transactional. No. That's not what he says. He says, Truly I say to you, everyone, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, or bowls of soup, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is not just talking about the next life. He's talking about the spiritual rewards, the fullness of life that we get when we take hold of the fact that we have God as our inheritance. Let's pray that we can see the bowl of stew for what it is, and keep our eyes on the prize. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are 
sometimes sobering warnings in the Bible uh, that, that we see crystal clear the pain and the misery and the foolishness uh, and the loss that others go through so that we don't have to make those same mistakes ourselves to know how it ends. But I, I pray that you would give us wisdom, true wisdom, that, that's, be, that's being able to see eternity. It's being able to put in perspective what we're going through today or, or the decisions that we make or the values that we have <clears throat> and continue to align that with what actually is going to matter, what, what actually is going to hold on and, and be worthwhile. Because it would be guiding us into that, that true and real wisdom to see the value of the birthright that you have freely offered us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.